Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Expose yourself. Show them what you're all about. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Expose Dragged Out. It's a podcast where I, Joseph Shepard, talk to some queens who may or may not have been on a RuPaul's Drag Race franchise. This one was on none of them. This is the one, the only, <laughs> Bob the Drag Queen, who I still have my favorite memory with from four or five years ago when we were on the red carpet and we sang the famous Bob, 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 Bob the Queen. Bob, 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 Bob the Queen. I was like, yeah. I don't think we can sing in sync on this podcast. I think we're going to be out of sync because there's a slight delay. But I do remember I was, I remember what I was wearing. Um, mm-hmm. I remember where we, well, more or less where we were somewhere in the Valley, at some theater in the Valley. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I remember that. It was, it was a really lovely memory. I had fun with you that day. Yeah, I had fun with you. I think that you were one of the first drag queens that I felt like it wasn't an act. Does that make sense? Like, I felt like you were just authentically you and you were having a good time. Well, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for your other interactions with other queens. <laughs> I can't <laughs> I can't vouch for what those were like. But, um, you know, drag queens are, are an interesting breed of people. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, like this whole podcast, like today, I just want to talk all about you. I have questions from fans. You know, I'm not going to dive too nitty gritty into the drag race aspect. You are freaking amazing. I think that the coolest thing about you is that I love watching We're Here. I love that you have been able to take your activism and being able to um, show a cool light and a good light on the LGBT culture, because I think... There are so many people in middle America who do not approve of the lifestyle or people who are in a very religious space may not approve of that. Like, and I grew up in Tennessee, so it was always extremely difficult, you know, with my parents and my family. When did you actually start getting into activism and stuff? Because I know that you have been arrested, right? Yes. Yes, I have been arrested. (laughs) I'm going to bust out my criminal records. I don't know where (laughs) I don't know this is going to be one of the one of those. No, um, I I started doing activism about a year into my drag. It was pretty early. It was pretty early. You know, me and me and some friends used to do these events called Drag Queen Weddings for Equality. Me and uh, Frosty Flakes, Azrea, Eugene Lovin, Dusky, Miss Cracker, Genesee Qua. We used to do these demonstrations in Times Square where we would do the we would get we would do is drag queens getting married by drag queens. So it'd be like a drag queen bride, a drag queen groom. We went and bought wedding dresses. We went and like got um, flyers made. And for our va- for wedding invitations, we would hand out these invitations and they would have all this information about queer rights and the lack thereof. And then for our vows, we would, we would tell them more information and we would just do these demonstrations over and over again, probably like maybe, I don't know, maybe every like, 30 minutes or so, we would, we would have another drag queen wedding. Actually, we probably did them more, even more frequently than that. We did them a lot. So it was every Saturday, 
and we did these weddings over and over again. So whenever we felt like the crowd reset, we would have another wedding. Ah, so it was kind of like kind of like the panhandling situation in Times Square on the side, but you had a good cause. Listen, I'm not here to say the arts aren't a good cause. So those people, <laughs> those people selling tickets to shows, that is a good cause as well. We just had a different cause. Let's put it that way. What was the reception like when you guys started it? Well, you're in Times Square and you're wearing an outfit. So people want to get pictures with you. They really want to see you. So pe- people just kind of want to want to be around you, want to see you. A couple of people scoff. I mean, not a lot of it, to be honest. And it was so, oh my God, this was like so long. It was probably 10 years ago at this point. So I, I barely even remember. And it was so cold out there sometimes. It was, so we did it for a full year. We did it until we had marriage equality in New York State. And then our last one was the day after um, we did like a celebration. And... We had a lot of mixed reactions, but mostly people were just kind of interested in seeing us. We were using our spectacle to get people to listen to us. Do you feel like that translates now over into We're Here? Do you feel like your activism is, is that like a big part of your life now? Do you still keep into activism now that you are in California? Well, you know, I don't really believe in the notion of like uh, boiling activism down to yelling in the streets. You know, there's a lot of different forms of activism and different people can be most effective in different ways. You know what I mean? And back in the day, I was on the streets yelling because I had no platform. That was the only way I could get people to hear me was to go get arrested and get the the news to show up while while I got arrested. That was the only way I could get people to hear me out. And nowadays I have a, a really large platform and it's easier for me to reach people without screaming and getting arrested. And then maybe one day if the time calls for that, if the situation calls for that, then I'll probably be back to that. You know, you never know. Do you miss New York or do you like LA? Do I miss New York City? Yeah, I miss New York City and I like LA. Both. I miss New York and I like LA. So no no preference now. I mean, I, I live in LA, so I guess there is some sort of a preference because I, <laughs> I, I live here. I'm not like you know, I'm not being forced to live in Los Angeles. I'm choosing to. And I think that at this current time in my life, this is just kind of what makes the most sense for me. I want to get into your first time when you were in drag, when you actually had a show. Do you remember that first show moment? Yeah, of course. I was at the New York Comedy Club performing on the east side um, my friend did my makeup, my, this like cis white straight girl that I knew <laughs> did my makeup. <laughs> I actually can't remember if she did it at that time or not, but she did my makeup one of the first times. Um, uh, I was wearing a dress from Forever 21. No, I was wearing, no, I was, I was wearing a blue and white, like leopard print top. Uh, it was really a hideous garment, but I was really funny. I really like killed it. That was my first performance ever in drag was, was actually doing, stand-up comedy. So I actually started my drag. Everyone's all like, when did you start doing it? I'm like, I actually started my performances in drag with stand-up comedy. Was that a popular take back then? Like, was it, was that a common thing for people to do comedy and drag? Like, or was it more the lip-syncing aspect? I'm sure there were some people doing stand-up and drag. I don't think I pioneered it, but most drag queens were lip-syncing, yeah. And still are, yeah. Were you influenced by people like Sherry Vine? Because I know that I had seen that in some research stuff when I was looking at, that yeah, you had course. said that she was your drag mother if you had to choose. Did I say that? And I said I would, I would pick three women. It would, it'd be uh, Bianca, Peppermint, and Sherry Vine are my three kind of drag women. Also, Pictures Christ is actually a, another one of mine too. But, you know, in New York City, Sherry Vine, Bianca Del Rio, and Peppermint were the three, like, shows that I would always go to mm-hmm. and, like, take notes mm-hmm. and, like, constantly be, like, completely, like, 
enamored with their professionalism and their humor and their beauty and their like just charisma and everything. So Bob was in the front row taking notes. Literally. In these shows. Wow. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Sherry Vines, the first queen I ever gave 20 bucks to. It was at Boots and Saddles. She was doing the show of this queen named Svetlana Stoli. And I wanted her to do Sherry Licious. I wanted her to do her song Sherry Licious really badly. And I remember when I, when I first met Peppermint, it was my first time performing in a gay bar. It was at Barracuda. My first drag number ever was um, my strongest suit at Barracuda in Peppermint's competition. I walked up to Peppermint and I was like, because I, I Googled online, like, where do I go if I want to do drag or drag competition? And it said online that this show was hosted by Shaquita. So I walked up and I said, oh my gosh, Shaquita, I want to compete tonight. She was like, my name's not Shaquita, my name's Peppermint. And I was like, well, the poster didn't have a name. It just said Shaquita hosts this thing. So I showed up and, and I asked for Shaquita. So was that your first interaction with Peppermint? Very, that was number one. The very first time wow. I ever saw Peppermint was me calling her Shaquita. Did she, has she ever said anything about that after? Yeah, child, she doesn't remember that. There's so many fucking baby queens <laughs> that go up to uh, Peppermint begging for attention. There is no way on God's green earth she even comes close to remembering that. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, <laughs> there are many queens who are like, you don't remember me? I was in the meet and greet in San Diego. And I'm like, I don't. I really don't remember that. I'm, I, I, I don't. <laughs> So you're in New York for how long before you applied for Drag Race? When you were like actually, you mean like you the know, first performing? time I ever applied for Drag Race? Yeah, when did you actually apply for the first time? Um, I think it was season four or season five. I auditioned to be on Drag Race and completely not prepared. I think I was in there, so I was there. I, I came to New York City the year Drag Race started, so I it was I was there for four years. Wow. So then you apply for around four or five. Did you apply every year after that? I skipped one year. I can't remember which year I skipped, but I know I did four. I know I did seven, and obviously I did eight. I may have did, I, I did either five or six, but I skipped one year. I was kind of like, you know, did, I just didn't do it. I think yeah. one year I, I thought I was going to be in America's Got Talent. I actually did America's Got Talent one year. And I was like, I'm going to go in America's Got Talent. It'll be much more lucrative for a queen. And yeah, so I skipped one year because I was trying to do. I was trying to be on Last Comic Standing and America's Got Talent, and I, I made it on both shows actually, but I didn't make it very far. Were you drag presenting when you went on those? Yeah, I did drag on both shows. Yeah, I, I did drag. And I was in like the montage of, of Last Comic Standing. Like they had this like montage of like hack comedians, like like a guy in a banana suit and like a clown and like a girl who's a cowboy and Bob the Drag Queen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were like, I remember them like doing my comment. They were like, you're just not funny or something. I can't remember what I was saying. I remember asking like oh like literally all of you were saying no and they were like yeah all of us and i was like oh my god in my whole life i mean i i have been told a lot of things i have never been told i wasn't funny until i went to last comic stand they were like you're not funny and i was like wait what you were like wait do i need to rethink my whole career now no i was like you guys are crazy because i'm hilarious i didn't think i was crazy i thought they were crazy i was like i'm hilarious why would i doubt myself i was like these people are lunatics i'm hilarious do you laugh at your own jokes all the time, constantly. All the time? Nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Where do you, when you, when you come up with routines and when you come up with things in your stand-up and your specials that you have had, what is the process like for you? Do you have like random notes in your phone that you pull from? Like how does your mind and your creativity come together? Yeah, I have a 
Google Drive um, folder that I just type in. I have voice notes that I say if I'm not in a space to type. Sometimes I get inspired by watching other comedians and I'll think to myself, oh, here's an idea that inspired more jokes than me. Sometimes it's just from conversations I have with people and I'll say something funny in the moment. And then I'm like, well, I should write that down. That was really funny. Stuff like that. Mm. So you're like Alyssa Edwards laughing at her own jokes in the corner on that. The oh, All-Stars. no, she was laughing quietly. I <laughs> guffaw. I'm howling. I am screaming. <laughs> um, so you end up, I guess, getting on Drag Race in season eight. I guess. I, I guess. guess. I guess you got on. So you get on this little show. It's called RuPaul's Drag Race. It's season eight. I was the ninth queen to be crowned from RuPaul's Drag Race. And... Since I won Drag Race, they have given out 23 crowns. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And wait, you guys were the last last um, season on Logo, too, right? Yeah, and then after our season, it went on real television. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the moment like when you walked into the workroom. If you were to like think about that and the feelings that you had, did you think that you were going to win the competition looking at who was in front of you? Well, to be honest, I mean, I thought I was going to win before I even saw anyone there. I just, I wouldn't compete if I didn't think I was going to win. Like I never understood girls who go and they're like, I never thought I was going to win or I didn't want to win. Part of me feels like they're really just saving face because they're embarrassed they didn't win. And I'm like, why would you go in drag race if you, like, why would you try not? That doesn't even make sense. That sounds stupid to me. Like, I never thought I was going to win. Okay, Mary, sure. Go off. Like, something about people who are, like, intentionally not trying is really annoying to me. I don't know what it is about it that bothers me. But also, I'm very easily irritated. A lot of stuff bothers me. So, something about that is, like, just try. Like, if you're there... And it's the, the the point is to, I get, but, you know, honestly, people can do whatever they want to do for whatever reason they want to do it. And if you want to go on Drag Race and not try to win, then I guess more power to you, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Looking at your time on Drag Race, you had some very iconic moments. You had Thorgy Thor hating on you and still hating on you to this day. You had your empire, your rupire moment where I think that I fell in love with you a yes, lot Ru- more. Ru-Ko's empire. Ruko's empire, yes. You had your Derek Barry fiasco. Derek Barry just loved getting into your grill. Yeah, we, me and me and Miss Miss Barry fought a little, quite a bit. What was your favorite moment on the show? In a challenge, was there a challenge that you really felt encapsulated Bob as a whole? Yeah, I really enjoyed the acting challenge. It was really, really fun for me. And I also really liked the street me challenge. I didn't win. We didn't win it, but the street me challenge where we, um, me, Betty, and um, Thorgy were writing that song and singing. That was a very fun and very creative. I really, really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. At least you weren't the rectangle girls of the world. The triangle girls of the world. We were not the, we were not the, the, the shaped girls. I can't remember what, what they called themselves, but we were not that group. But that, epi- that whole episode was very, very, very fun. I really loved doing that. We got to sew a little bit. We got to be creative. We got to write music. We got to dance. It was really fun. Yeah. And I, I think too, like looking at your whole trajectory on the show, you gave a full range of everything that was needed in that moment. And looking back on all of that, what would you say was the most difficult part? 
maybe time management. I had one moment where I was trying to make this outfit and I don't even realize how short the amount of time is for that, the stuff we do on that show. Like we will, so basically when, when there's a sewing challenge, you have about 12 hours to make what you're going to make. Because each filming day is about 12 hours. But the first half of the day is like setting up and going into the challenge. And then for the last half of the day, you work on it. And then the first half of the next day, you work on it. And then you present it at the end of the day. So you only work on it for like about 12 hours. And like doing that, I remember it was the episode, that was the Wizard of Oz episode. And I was making my, uh, my, my woman's outfit and her, like the zipper flew off the handle. And I was like, fuck, now I'm just like back to ground zero and having to start over. And I almost didn't make it to the runway, but I made it. I made it out there eventually. And Derek made it out there looking like how he made it out there. That was the moment that I think I laughed so hard when I saw that silver 10 man come out on the runway. The, sil- the silver 10 man look was kind of wild. And there were a few times where we were trying to tell Derek that the look wasn't great, but Derek wouldn't hear it. Which honestly is really fierce. Like to have that confidence is kind of amazing. Like bitch go off. Has there ever been a time where you've put on something and you were so confident about it and everybody else was like, no, and you actually regret it? Um, I didn't regret it, but I mean, probably my, my makeup the entire season. <laughs> I kept being like, I look great. And they were like, you really don't. And I was like, you guys are crazy. I genuinely look great. And they were like, no, we're not being funny. We're not being haters. You genuinely look bad. And I was like, nah, won't hear it. Not interested in that story. <laughs> and now looking back, you're like, well, maybe. maybe well, looking back, I'm like, I mean, I wouldn't do my makeup that way today. I don't, I don't think I look bad, but I think that maybe I could have looked better is what I'm getting at. Maybe they weren't complete haters like I thought they were. Yeah. But also, when you're there, it, does, like, it doesn't feel, it feels really bad to be told that you like, <laughs> by people that like, so consistently that you don't look pretty. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is, this is hard to hear over and over again. This is a lot. It's getting to be a lot, guys. They were really leaning in. You make it to the finale. You end up winning. If it was one year later, you would have had to have lip synced for the crown. And I would have won. Continue. What's your next question? I would have won. Go ahead. What was what? what is going would on? you would you have? Would you have? Against my girls? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I would have. Wait, who is your final three? See, I can't even remember it. Me, Naomi Smalls, and Kim Chi. Yeah, you would have won that. <laughs> yeah, I would have won. <laughs> It'd have been fine. Well, After we're going to move on from this drag race thing, the one question I ask everybody, is there a moment that happened that was not shown on camera that you wish would have been shown on camera? Oh, um, nothing in particular. I do remember um, at one point in the Wizard of Oz challenge. So RuPaul like describes the challenge, but in truth, the challenge producers come over and they describe it to you in great detail. They film themselves describing it to you. They get you to verbally say, do you understand the assignment? And then you have to look in camera and say, yes, I get it. So that everyone knows that everyone's on the same page. And they hand you a worksheet that has all the information you need to have on the thing. So I got assigned Glinda the Good Witch and Wizard of Oz. And they provide these wigs for you. And I don't know where this footage is. They give you these iPods when you're there. And they were like, we need you to um, 
I remember the description of Glenda the Good, which was like she has ringlets, like red ringlets flowing over her shoulders. And then I went in and grabbed the wig they had for me. And it was just the shittiest, tightest, little, ugly, red, Shirley Temple wig you've ever seen in your life. And I would go up to everyone and I would film them and I would just read the description and hold up the wig. <laughs> and I'd be like, and I just remember always saying ringlets flowing over the shoulder. And then I would like wear the wig. And then like the rest of the episode, I just kept just looking at people going ringlets flowing <laughs> over the shoulder in this horrible <laughs> hard front wig they like were trying to get me to wear. Bob, that was the best story ever. I think that we should make that a book. Like, I ringlets flowing over, over the, the shoulder. shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you end up winning. You get off this show. You were one of the first people who had a, a kind of like a catchphrase, too. You had your purse first. You end up making it a single, and you end up kind of like taking that by storm. Did you... Co in there thinking that you were going to do that, or what what other girls had had catchphrases. Shangela had hallelujah, you know, yeah, yeah. And um, so there, there, there have been catchphrases to be fair, yeah, there have been catchphrases, but I think that you capitalized off yours a little bit more, maybe, yeah. I, you know, I've definitely um had a good time with with purse first, (laughs) that's for sure. So you get off, you start doing comedy specials, you have your cherry pop, you're doing, you're kind of like delving into a world of, you know, film and stand up and comedy. What was that whole experience like, like right off the show? Because you kind of started right after doing a lot of creative endeavors. So we were traveling, I mean, everywhere. So cherry pop, I filmed cherry pop right after filming Drag Race. So I actually, it was before it even aired. So I was the release of Cherry Pop, but it wasn't like actually part of my my year of like reign. And it was mostly just doing, I did like a lot of the tours. I did all, every tour, all these girls doing these tours. I've done almost all of them. I've done Mary and Peter. I've done Brendan Voss. I've done In the Dark. I've done Holy Trinity. I've done Pardon Moi French. I mean, if there's a tour out there, I have I have more than likely already done it. It was just touring nonstop. I mean, club, bus, another club, another club, <laughs> another club no sleep, club, no sleep, another club. Yeah, that was literally it. Do you enjoy the aspect of traveling more or do you enjoy the aspect of like recording movies and recording stand up and doing all of that? Do you prefer to stay local or you prefer to travel? I don't like traveling. I hate traveling. <laughs> I hate traveling. It's, it's not fun for me. Like being on a plane isn't fun. Being in new places can be fun. But also when you do these shows, your experience in these towns is really not a real experience. Like you're actually like in the town for like a day and then you leave, which I love. I love doing the shows. I will say that the shows I love, love performing anywhere, anywhere I can perform. I absolutely love that. That will never not be fun for me. You mentioned your sobriety on, you know, Sibling Rivalry. You've mentioned that before. How did you come to that sense to become sober? Because I would love to know, you know, the details behind that. Because I think that that is a very admirable thing. I think that that's a very hard thing to do. I literally went into New Year's and I was like, all right, this is the year I am going to give, you know, all the drinks away. And then seven days in, I was like, I can't do this. Woo! I mean, I guess it's, 
It's, you know, for some people it's hard. I mean, quitting drinking was hard for me, but that's because I had a problem, you know? I'm not here to determine if anyone else has a problem. I tell that I had a problem and, you know, addiction is pretty real in my family. So I knew that I had problems with addiction and I didn't want to go down the, the same path some people in my family had gone down. So I don't think it's the most interesting thing about me. Like I don't, some girls really advertise their sobriety. And I'm like, y'all are really making this such a big part of your personality, which by the way, is, there's nothing wrong. Like make it your, it's your business to do with what you want. But I was also sober before I started doing drag. I've never done drag drunk ever in my life. So my entire journey in drag has been sober. Wow. So, so you've been sober for quite some time. Yeah, for like maybe, um, oh, geez, Louise. What's 2008 minus, I probably, I should know this. Like I'm supposed to know my time. 12 years? 12 years now, yeah. Wow. Was there a turning point in your head where you realized, hey, like I need to stop or I need to give it up? Or was it just like, I don't want the worst to happen? Well, I think it was looking at people around me, how their lives had turned out. And also a little bit of um, just, I remember, I don't, I mean, it was just like, when you're not able to do your job or function properly because your main objective in life is drinking, I think that you might there, there it might be time to pump the brakes. Mm. If drinking and drugs become more important than people around you in your job, then it might be time to pump the brakes. I like that. Even if your job involves drinking and, and drugs, like it still can't be the most important thing in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's the most important thing in your life right now? Myself, I always like to put myself first. You really have to put yourself, I really believe firmly in prioritizing yourself um, because if you don't prioritize yourself, you can't really be there for other people. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I prioritize myself and because I put myself first, I'm able to actually show up for other people in different ways. Yeah. And showing up to your partners, I want to know what that is like. You are on the road. You, you, you know, you have sibling rivalry. You have so many things. You're very, very busy when it comes down to giving love and affection to, you know, your partners. How is that when you're dealing with the business? Well, I always tell my partners that, you know, I will always put myself first, but you will always be considered. You'll always be a consideration, but I'll always be a priority. You know what I mean? And my partners also have their careers and things going for them. Like, they're not my world. Mm-hmm. No one is my world. You know what I mean? I mean, I think it's an interesting romantic notion with people like, you are my world. And, you know, I never lived before you. Kelly Clarkson, I never lived before your touch. I never <laughs> felt before your love. That is very romantic. It really is. Um, it doesn't sound healthy. It sounds codependent. It sounds mm. like a recipe for disaster to me. But also, if that's how you are, then Mary, you know, more power to you. If, if that seems to actually be working for you, like I can't make my higher power another person. I can't make someone my everything. I, that just, no, I, even when I think about it, it just sounds really upsetting. The notion of having someone be my everything sounds really, really unhealthy, you know? Yeah. And I think that's that's also very interesting that you said it that way. It's like, you know, you're not putting anybody first because at the end of the day, you are always the person that should be first. Yeah, I'll consider people, you know, but I can't prioritize them. Yeah. I do want to know because myself being a gay person who has one partner, I've always wanted to know, like, with you, you have two partners and... You have one partner? 
Yeah, I have one partner. That's so retro. Oh my god. I, I know, love- right? Ooh. That's so cute. Wow. One. Oh, I love wow. that. Wow. One. One. Yeah. And what are your pronouns? My pronouns? Yeah. He, him. Oh my god, so retro. Factory. Right, says, right. Oh my god. So cute. Oh my one partner, he, him pronouns. It's so it's like it's, <laughs> white it's male. Very, oh my god, it's giving very early 2000s. It's giving very early 2000s. <laughs> Stop it, Bob. Um, I want to know for you, because when I grew up in the South, it was very like taboo to have more than one partner. Did you ever feel um, some type of way that it was not okay for you to explore that side and to be like, this is me? Not as an adult. And I don't think I really, really thought about it much as a kid. I mean, I never even started dating until my early 30s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have two partners. I've I, I've only ever had two boyfriends, and they are both still... I have no exes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you've had these on hook for a while, too. Uh, yeah, on hook. <laughs> yeah, me and Jacob have <laughs> been dating for four years. Me and Ezra have been dating for two years. When Ezra came into the relationship, was there any jealousy or any, like, having to figure out how to spend yeah, time course. with both? Absolutely. There's there's always, you know, jealousy is a part of everyone's life. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that is different for, for people who are in polyamorous dynamics. Yeah. And there, you know, there was some jealousy and there. Um, jealousy pops up all the time for me as well. Mm-hmm. You know? How did you get that tweeter head trophy? For those of you, I know, I know there's no video, but if y'all, there's a, there's a, one of those loser trophies over um, Joseph's uh, shoulder. <laughs> How did you get that? I bought it off offer up for a photo shoot. Oh, wait, a photo shoot for you did a photo shoot with it? Yeah, I did it because the the original of the podcast last year was all the people who were first out. So I was like crying holding this thing and the <laughs> the, the, the promo photos. And did you actually do one with everyone who was first out? Like how many did you get of the first out? I, I got pretty I got pretty good. I got like pork chop, I got James Mansfield. I, I think I got pretty much everybody besides like season five and six, maybe. Oh, fierce. Yeah. And then all the new ones who are in their 10-year contracts, you know. How much is that trophy? How much was it? Yeah. I think it paid like $100 for it. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. I don't even have one of those, so fierce. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want one? Should we put you back on, you know, how everybody keeps wanting you to be on an all-winter season? Should, you know, you get out first just to be able to get the trophy? You know, honestly, it's not a bad idea. And then I can be on your podcast next season. Yeah, and then we can talk all about... (laughs) I want to get into some fan questions. You know, all the fans have some things that they want to know about. What do they want to know? Oh, oh, oh. I know what my Um, most questions usually are. They're like, people are usually really intrigued by my polyamory. People mm -hmm. are really... um, I always want to know if I'd go back and do an, do um, all stars or all winter season, and I often get asked, "Is it fashion? Is it fashion? Do you get asked about fracking? If I get asked about fracking a lot. Yeah. Wait, I have a question for you about fracking. Had you heard? Did Rue ever contact you after that? <laughs> you think RuPaul calls me? RuPaul's- I don't know if there's like if you have an exchange one time and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> ha, ha, saw that." <laughs> I've not seen RuPaul since um, DragCon UK. Oh, that, oh, you went to that? Yeah, I did go to that, yeah. That was the last time I saw RuPaul. And before that, I saw RuPaul at the airport one time. We ran into each other at the airport. We were on the, we were on the same flight. And that was it. I mean, I've seen RuPaul since then. I mean, before that, but those are the, the last two yeah. times I saw RuPaul, yeah. 
I saw RuPaul in Santa Monica getting his dry cleaning. I, I didn't know why RuPaul would be getting his own dry cleaning, but, you know, he was. So sometimes it's just easy to just grab it yourself, you know? <laughs> From Zodiac Zero, how does Bob create milestones for herself? Do you have specific goals and measurements for your success, or do you just ride the wave? Well, I do have, uh, I have um, things I want to achieve. Like, I remember wanting to do that song, wanting to do my comedy special, I want to get an Emmy at some point in my life. That's that's a that's a, a, an important goal for me. And I, you know, they're they're all circumstantial and based on my circumstances and what I desire. I don't beat myself up if I don't make it. Like if you don't make it with the milestone, Mary, it's okay. It it really it really is okay. It is okay to fall short. Don't give yourself a hard time over that. I had a hard time with that for a while too. Just like fucking. Essentially, I mean, I can't think of a better word than just bullying myself for not achieving goals that I wanted to achieve. Because I, I remember there's a lot of pressure when you win Drag Race or win any show probably or win anything or to like feel like I have to like live up to this title. You know, it's a show. It's such an important queer moment. And I feel like I had to live up to this title, you know. But also, luckily for you, we get to set our own parameters of whether or not we live up to these titles. We get to decide if we live up to them. Each individual person. And it shouldn't matter what other people think. Yeah. Do you feel like you lived up to your title? Yeah, it was great. I did a good job. And I'm happy with what I put out. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think, too, like realizing in your head that you shouldn't be bullying yourself for that. Like that's a very common thing, I think, in creatives. It's just like bullying yourself in a way of like you could have done better. You could have done X, Y, and Z. Like you didn't do... Um, and that that's a big struggle. I, I struggle with that all the time. Yeah, very much so. The next question I have for you is from Isabel. She says, you have said before that you would like for sibling rivalry to become something like the Breakfast Club. Is that still a goal of yours? It is a goal of mine. Uh, it is a huge time commitment. And Monet and I are both so busy. So the truth is I would love for it to be like a breakfast club type moment, but also part of me is afraid of losing the dynamic that Monet and I have that, um, that thing that's just us. Like breakfast club is all about the guests and sibling rivalry is about me and Monet and our dynamic together. And what usually once we introduce another person, it kind of, our dynamic shifts a little bit, not necessarily, not necessarily for the worst, but it does shift. Chucky Mambo wants to know what a name. about your new voice. Do you miss the rasp of your old voice? Well, Unfortunately, my rasp is coming back, I which probably you. is because I'm not taking care of my voice properly. I don't mind having a raspy voice. I just don't want to have to go get surgery again because my voice was really weak. It was really, really weak. I would lose my voice very easily. I have not lost my voice since I have since having the surgery, though. Why were you losing your voice? Was it just you I had too nodes? Much? You know what nodes are? Yeah, nodes are growths on your. Um, well, mine was it. Specifically, these nodes were on my vocal cords. You know, your vocal cords are supposed to touch together like this. But if there's something in the way, they can't touch together, which makes it harder to speak. So I, I was having a lot of... So then we get swollen, then my, my vocal cords can touch each other, and then I would have a hard time speaking. Which is pretty bad for someone who has to talk for a living, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up. It's so stupid. You could have become a fashion queen, and then you would never have to talk again. I could have. Um, I could have. <laughs> Well, as we are closing all of this out, I do want to touch a little bit on We Are Here, and I would love to know 
Touch it. Is, touch we're here. What, touch it, Joseph. Touch yes, it. Touch it. What has it been like? What has that experience been like? You film one season of this show, and all of a sudden, after that, it kind of becomes a phenomenon. Did you expect to go further than one season on We're Here? After the first episode, I mean, after, okay, put it after the, we filmed the pilot back in, oh my God, 2019, 2018, 2019, I remember thinking to myself, oh, that was it, the pilot, and it's done. But then after seeing it and seeing how good it was and how great the storytelling was, I was like, oh, this is going to go far. So I was not shocked that we got a season two, and I knew we were going to get a season three. So I was, I'm not shocked at all. It, it is, it is, it is truly the best drag you'll ever see on TV. It's one of the most important shows out there for queer people right now. And I'm very, very, very lucky. And I feel very proud to be part of it. Do you keep in contact with anybody that you've helped? Yeah. I mean, Akilah talks some time. Me and um, Nate's drag friend, Lady Shug, we talk a lot. So a f- not a whole lot of them, but every once in a while, me and some of them talk, chat back and forth. I just bought a painting from my drag kid in Spartanburg, actually. She's an amazing painter, and I just bought a painting from her. Yes. What has been the biggest, I would say, like, feel-good moment that you have felt on that show, even recording or seeing it afterwards? Is there a moment that you were proud of? Maybe the, the just watching the Selma episode, you know, I had some real cathartic tears and a lot of healing done in Selma, Alabama. And I, that was, in my opinion, one of the best episodes of television ever in the history of TV, especially for black queer people. you If you're a black queer person, I'm telling you, you need to watch the Selma episode of We're Here. That was very telling. It was very like heartfelt. I felt like it was, um, that one was, that was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. And everyone was like, it was so emotional for an hour. Like, bitch, I was there for fucking like 12 days. So imagine how emotional I was the whole time, you know? And you had to do everything like during the pandemic too. You guys had to stop filming and then pick back up, right? Yeah, I mean, it took nine, it took 10 months to film the whole season because of the pandemic. Yeah, it was wild. Um, so as we close this out, I would like to know from you, if you could, for one day, put on another drag queen's shoes, past or present, and live one day in their life, who would it be? Ooh, you know, just one day, just one day, because she probably had a really tough life, I would choose William Dorsey Swan, who is America's first drag queen. William Dorsey Swan used to throw balls in the D.C. area post the civil war and i just i would love to just be a fly on the wall in one of those places with all these queer people who had probably never even seen a queer person in their lives outwardly you know what i mean celebrating themselves in this time like could you imagine even i love that that is yeah because if you are not used to seeing any type of queer person in the world and you finally have a home of like seeing people out. That's I remember I remember going to my first pride and being like, oh my God, this is so crazy. So I can't even imagine what it must have felt like for these, you know, people who a lot of them were formerly enslaved people, like living free. Imagine. I just imagine. Well, Bob, you know, just a little quick, quick turnaround. Let me ask you, what's what's next for you? What do you have coming down the pipeline? Well, I would love for you to come check me out at some of my stand. If you want to see me do stand-up, which is my main bread and butter, I'll be in the following cities. I'll be in Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Oxnard, San Jose, Vancouver, Kansas City, Tulsa, Cincinnati, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm. 
This starting on February 2nd. You can catch those shows. They go up into up through April. You can always go to bobbydragqueen.com to check out all of my information, all of my shows, and just come see me tell the yuck yucks in person. Yes. And then you have what? Sibling Rivalry Tour after that? Then we have Sibling Rivalry coming up after that. And then the, you know, and then whatever comes next. An Emmy. There it is. I think the Emmys are in July. So the, the, the Emmys should, in theory, be between the two, in theory. Well, thank you so much. You don't have an L.A. show from what you just said. So I'm going to come over to your house, you know, in the next month or so. And I'm just going to sit on the floor and you can just perform the show for me. Well, I will be in Oxnard if you want to come see me in Oxnard. And I'm also going to be at Brea as well, which is about maybe an hour and a half, two hours outside of LA. Okay. I'll I'll drive two hours just to see you. What kind of car do you drive? Uh, Jeep. You don't know what kind of car you drive? It's a a Jeep Compass. I had to think about it. Why do you not know what kind of car you drive? (laughs) Well, because... (laughs) I don't know. Cars are not like... you steal the car? What? Did you steal this car? (laughs) <laughs> no, I did not. I bought it like the week before COVID and I was so mad at myself because then I couldn't even drive it for like a year. Mm, poor baby. Mm, poor baby. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bob, for joining me and exposing yourself. Everybody's going to see exactly what you're doing right now. Bob is holding up peace fingers and going around in circles. Bob, where can everybody find you on the socials? Go to BobTheDragQueen.com. Go to any social media app and just type in Bob the Drag Queen. I'll be there. Just call my name and I'll be there. Just call his name three times in the mirror and he will be there. Well, I'm Joseph Shepard. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, do all of those good things for the podcasties. And until next time, we'll see you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Exposed Dragged Out, brought to you by The Dip. I'm Joseph Shepard, your host. You can follow me on all things social at Joseph A. Shepard. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. You can also go to thedip.com slash RuPaul's Drag Race. The Dip with two P's dot com. That's the dip with two P's.com. Use promo code EXPOSE for 50% off your membership. And be sure to check out other podcasts from the dip, including Hot Off the Mess with Samantha Bush, the Daily Pop Culture Podcast, Pop Chaser, TV History Podcast, TV Watch Repeat, Real Housewives Podcast, The Slut Pick Podcast, and also I Am the Cute One, a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen podcast. Until next time, I'm Joseph Shepard. Expose yourself. Ooh. Show them what you're all about. You're right.